0: Well, 2023 sees three theatre institutions celebrate their 50th. The first 50th is for a theatre, the magnificent, brutalist building that is Pornakee's iconic Hannah Playhouse, which was built to house the downstage theatre. And the second 50th party is for our National Playwrights Agency and Development Organisation Playmarket which began its life in a downstage filing cabinet. And the third institution is a person. Murray Lynch began his professional theatre career directing and acting at the then Whanganui Professional Theatre Four Seasons in 1973. Well today Murray Lynch is chair of the Hannah Playhouse Trust and he's been director of Playmarket for the last thirteen years. He's also a previous director of Downstage Theatre, which finished in twenty thirteen. So you could say then that Murray Lynch is pretty woven into the history of New Zealand theatre. So in welcoming him to RNZ's Culture 101, I needed to know his secret. How does he stay so young? <laughs> I mean, I, even looking at a, a media clipping from 1986 and they seem to describe you as being sort of youngish, like the young students.
1: Well, it has to be genes then if that's the case.
0: <laughs> it's, it's, been a, it's been 50 years for yourself and for Play Market and for the Hannah Playhouse in the professional theatre. You started at the Four Seasons Theatre in Whanganui. Can you tell me what the theatre, what well, the professional theatre scene particularly was like in 1973?
1: Yeah, um, it was a time when everything was just poised to burst forth. Um, The following year, there was a centre point was started. Palmerston North. In Palmerston North, yes. You went to
0: work on there, didn't you?
1: I did. I went there the next year in in its first year of opening. I wasn't there at the very beginning of it. And uh, we had... By 74, there were nine regional professional theatres. So professional theatre, what does a professional theatre mean? What does that mean?
0: Does it mean like a a paid company of actors?
1: Yes, it means that everyone who's working there... Although in some instances ushers weren't paid, but in otherwise everyone else was being paid for what work they were doing. So what were you doing at the Four Seasons when
0: you you started there?
1: I was taken on as a director on condition that I could also act in every in the every alternate show, <laughs> and I'm not an actor. I've <laughs> never thought like an actor, so that was kind of uncomfortable. But um, I got to direct. I was 19 years old, and I got to direct um, Waiting for Godot and Private Lives. Yeah. Which is funny, because Waiting for
0: Waiting for Godot is coming up at the Playhouse shortly, which looks delightful.
1: Yeah, it does. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And was there much New Zealand work? No. So it's sort of
0: almost just at the dawning of that period that Playmarket came out of uh, pushing New Zealand work. So there wasn't a lot. I mean... uh, well, in fact, I think, I, do I believe you were a stage manager for Bruce Mason at some point?
1: Yeah. Well, Bruce was was playwrights. A, <laughs> Bruce was doing a tour in the early, mid, early to mid-70s, and he came up to Centrepoint and did three of his shows, I think, and I stage managed them, yes. What was he like? Well, uh, he was lovely. I mean, he, he came up to Centrepoint quite regularly um, and reviewed shows um, I got one very marvellous review from him for one show I did that actually didn't do very well. Yeah. Um, but when, you know, when he first stepped on the stage in the um, technical rehearsal, he had these little red dots in his eyes, you know, and little black mascara line and stuff. And I thought, oh, this is so old fashioned and everything. But it, he, the minute that he started telling a story, you got captured by him. It was yeah. it was wonderful. That's amazing. So
0: just going back to the four seasons, you said there was suddenly there were not by nineteen seventy four nine, did you say? Mm-hmm. Regional professional theatres. Yes. I mean it sounds like a paradise in terms of actually paid work.
1: I mean in a way, regional theatre, has it ever been any stronger? No, that was the strongest. Yeah. Um, so uh Gateway Players and Todanga was the first one to go. Right. Um and then four seasons. And then, sadly, more recently, Fortune.
0: Yes, the Fortune Theatre, a great mm. blow in Dunedin. I mean, why can't we sustain it?
1: Well, Regionally, I I'm saying. <clears throat> I mean, yeah. yeah, well, it, it's just the sheer economics. Um, yeah, it's it's mm. hard running at any, at any scale. Um, with any uh, level of population. So when you've got smaller populations, it becomes particularly difficult.
0: You went on to Auckland, as we were saying, there was the Maidman, but also Theatre Corporate that I think is is worth remembering at this stage. Yeah. and the Mercury, of course, started. So these, some of these theatres, it was sort of ahead of the Auckland scene in a way, were they? I mean, what
1: was happening in Auckland back in the
0: well, 50 years ago? Uh,
1: Mercury was either 69 or 70 that it ah, started. it was, okay. Um, and uh, Theatre Corporate was, Raymond Hawthorne was running classes, and I think it was kind of 73, 74 that they moved into um, the Galatas Street premises, yeah. Wow. Or actually, no, they were first doing productions upstairs in K Road. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: the New Zealand play and its birth, as I understand it, play market, of which we've both been deeply involved, essentially began in a filing cabinet at the new Hannah Playhouse. Is that correct?
1: Uh, yes, across the road in the Taj Mahal, <laughs> the, the, which have yeah. been toilets, It's still not been. I mean, the urinals and things were still in there, I believe. Oh, really? And <laughs> um, because I don't think they were pulled out until the whatever the bar was that went in there prior to the Welsh bar that's there now. Yeah.
0: So that what was in what what else was in there?
1: Well, I think it was storage and props and that kind of thing. Um, I don't believe that Downstage had the um, Holland Street premises at that time. Where was Holland Street? What sort uh, of premises uh, were those? Uh, that was uh, there was a, a construction workshop for sets. There uh, was a wardrobe on another level. On the, on the top level, there was a rehearsal room.
0: So hmm. it's an, it's it's a remarkable building, the Hannah Playhouse. I, I know that it's been given a, a historic place trust listing now, category one. Yes, just but, um, we just heard this. This week. Congratulations. Oh, this week. Mm. Oh, Congratulations. That's incredible, which is a a relief to many of us. And I think one of the things that I read that was unique in its day was that it was an experience where you could go to the theatre and you could also have a drink and eat. It was a theatre restaurant kind of a setup.
1: Correct, and so it was Centrepoint Theatre on, on the same model. Yeah, well, that started because the uh, uh, the three founders of Downstage took over the Walkabout Cafe, which is on the same site as the um, Hannah Playhouse, right? And um, they had Harry Sarison, uh, who was a restaurateur, and he. Uh, ran the, the the restaurant part of it and serving the thing, and there's a wonderful photograph of the, of the opening night. And actually, it was Graham Kerr who who was the the cook. <laughs> was it called the Galloping Gourmet? That, that was prior to him being called that. But yes, <laughs> yeah.
0: Did you come down for that? So you would have been in Tonganui. A young, no, young, I was
1: in Palms, Oh, Palmer's yes, at that time I would, yeah. yeah. But uh, the first thing I saw in there was Phil Mann's production of The Good Person of Sichuan, wow. which I think was the following year.
0: And the space is quite unique. It gets called Brutalist as, a, as a, in terms of its architecture, uh, but it's also an incredibly versatile space in terms of being able to move it around. And I always remember finding that even quite remarkable when I first encountered it sort of late 80s, late 18, 1980s probably, coming to Wellington. Was it bold at that time? Did it seem like a bold piece of theatre Yes, I design? think it
1: was, yeah. I mean, the black box theatre was reasonably common around the world from the 60s onwards. What's but, a black box theatre? Well, just like a, a, a theatre where you've you've got your seating set up and it is usually literally black, all the walls black. Yeah. And um, that... Uh, Yes, there's some flexibility, but mostly it was sort of end stage, end on stage. And, um, uh, you know, like for smaller, more experimental works, I guess. But I think one of the interesting things about the Hannah Playhouse was as far as I can pull together... It was the first theatre that was purpose-built for a professional theatre company. Ah. Um, Because you've got the Mercury, the Court, they're all going into found spaces, um, Theatre Corporate, uh, Centrepoint, they're all into uh, other spaces. Um, Mercury, I think, was the only one who went into an actual, like a 600-seat proscenium arch theatre. Yes. So I I think that was one of the really interesting things. And, of course, there's very few theatres with a company attached. I think the ASB Waterfront is probably the only other one I can think of that's um, been built for an actual professional theatre company. So that's
0: Auckland Theatre Company in Auckland, Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I guess the court is having one built. They are now, the moment, absolutely. Christchurch. Yes,
1: yes, yes, that's very exciting. They've got two spaces in there, which is great. Well, this is great. And then Circa, I guess,
0: as well, to yes, agree. Yes, of course, Circa, yeah. yes. Which was to come, come along later in the 1970s. Wow, what a history. So the, the theatre... Establishes in nineteen seventy three. Downstage had already been running. Sonny Amy comes in as director, and mm-hmm. uh, Nanita Rees is, is is working there. The first director of Playmarket, or administrator of Playmarket. Yes. And and how does Playmarket, as this 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 organisation,
1: promoting playwrights, which you're now the director of, start? Well, Robert Lord, who, who um, I've just been involved in a launch of a new book, a uh, uh, publication of his diaries. He. Had started writing and he wrote a play that Sonny did as a late night, as a reading, and it was so popular she was encouraged to keep encouraging him to write. And that play called It Isn't Cricket was involved in the Australasian Playwrights Conference in Australia. And Robert started to learn about the process of developing work and later went to the Eugene um, O'Neill's playwriting conference in America. And the model of the way of analysing and developing a script was, I mean, it was an extraordinary time. I mean, there's a photograph of Robert having a reading of one of his plays at that conference and Meryl Streep is in the cast. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I didn't um, know that. Uh, so it's um, Robert came back really enthused about this model and um, encouraged Nanita and Judy Russell and Ian Fraser um, to form an organisation um, that would help develop New Zealand work. And um, I, I think Jean Betts was the first reader, and she was paid two dollars to read a script and, and give an analysis of it.
0: Oh, it well, to Jean, who's been a legend in play absolutely. market. He was there when I was there, and when you started. Yes, it was absolutely. A remarkable yeah. career. So downstage, it sounds like really, really did so, did a lot for the development of a New Zealand writing yes, well, culture. I mean,
1: one year when Sunny, early when Sunny was there, I think it was either. Must have been 75, I think. It, she did almost an entire year of New Zealand work. Wow. And And, um, you know, encouraging writers like Robert and um, uh, and John Bannis was creating work for that space. Uh, Joe Masafia, who was also one of the very early uh, playwright clients for Playmarket, Or well, Dean Parker, I think, the late Dean and Parker. And Dean Parker. Started that early on. Yeah. It,
0: absolutely, yes. Yeah. Mm. Remarkable. And for yourself, when did you because really directing New Zealand work has become a really important part of your
1: career, when did that start for you? Well, certainly not at four seasons, but at um <laughs> at at Centerpoint, I right. started doing um like we did Mothers and Fathers, James Safia, um, at Meeting Place, Robert Lord. Um, and that's when, you know, a little bit later on, of course, we have Renee who entered into it and create, brought a beautiful voice to working class feminist voice to New Zealand theatre. Yes, Wednesday to come, people will think of. Roger Hall at that time? Were
0: you directing Roger? Um,
1: I, yes, a bit later on, absolutely. I did um, production of Middle Age Spread. But uh, yeah, I don't think Centrepoint did Glide Time until a bit later on. And so what was the audience reaction? I mean, it must have been interesting to
0: see how they took to these plays. Did they kind of differentiate them as kind of hours or,
1: or, or was it really, did it well, come down to the play? Well, I've got a, uh, a cutting from the Manawatu Evening Standard where somebody's advertising for tickets to middle age spread because they can't get in. We had advertised a <laughs> six week season and it was completely sold out. Wow. So um, audiences certainly came for it. There was a period when the theatres were all saying, uh, uh, this is a new 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 Zealand play. It was kind of promoting that. But, of course, that fortunately died away, and so they just came to see whatever the play was. But um, it was a very vibrant theatre-going time uh, in the certainly in the late 70s, early 80s. And and so, and so and Playmarket evolved,
0: didn't it, into, I guess, what it, it increased as the New Zealand theatre scene increased. Can you tell us a little bit about the role of Playmarket? Because people might not quite understand it. And it's quite unique internationally. Yes,
1: it? there's only other one, one other organisation now, which is only in the last three or four years, that does the same thing. So we're an agent for playwrights, which means we represent their work, we promote their work. Uh, and licence their work, um, both here and internationally. Uh, and we help them develop their work, although the individual th- professional theatres are doing that work as well. And uh, then we've got a whole role uh, in terms of discourse of promoting good practice around theatre practice generally. And was, Do you think there was a sense in the 70s, I mean, you, you know,
0: some people out there were saying, well, why can't playwrights look after themselves? Aren't they grown-ups, you know? What was the
1: danger of them not having an agent? I mean, you must
0: see this all the time. Yes.
1: Well, I think they're they're really um, uh, whakamaw about or or, um, uh, scared to um, negotiate money. Yeah. Um, And, in fact, the terms and conditions that go around uh, a play being put on. I mean, one of the things we do in our licence, we've got, you know, clauses that – say what can and can't be done with a script and that um, alterations can't be made without the agreement of the playwright and, um, you know, the timing of when payments have to come and what the percentages that the the playwright will get of the box office take and also what the crediting needs to be on posters and programmes and things. Yeah, Yeah, yeah.
0: Things have changed hugely, obviously. I mean, Play Market is a client of Creative New Zealand, but I mean, how much money do you get from, well, you take a cut of the royalty, do you? Is that the way you yes, get income that, from the, the play licensing?
1: Yes, we get a 10% of their 10% right. we, in, in general terms. But um, that doesn't represent a lot of our income. It's right. only a, a, a percentage of it and you know because we're a service organization when the the income from it's very different when you've got audiences coming in and they're paying to see you, you know i mean yes we get a cut of that but it's not like running a theater company because most of what we're doing is providing advice and and assistance and development and all that kind of thing so mm. it's not bringing in income as such right but it must have been. I mean, I'm thinking. I'm thinking of Roger Hall again
0: now, mm-hmm. um, because my my memories of Play market is that Roger's business was, well, totally vital to the professional theatre scene. Such was a success, so it kind of went on from the likes of Middle Age Spread to re- way in, into relatively recent times. He's continued to be enormously popular with his, I guess, his generation that have grown up with him. But but Roger has has he retired? Are we what what
1: has replaced? you know, the Roger Hall sensation. Okay. Well, Roger's still writing. He keeps saying that it's his last play every time, but he's (laughs) still writing. Um, What has changed is that there's a a huge range of kinds of work uh, coming through, and um, we also represent people who are collaboratively creating work as well. But, you know, I I would say that... um, you know, a large percentage of the work that we're uh, uh, helping manage um, is written by Maori and Pacifica playwrights and Asian playwrights. Um, so, you know, yes, you're right. Roger was, uh, you know, the the sort of leading uh, light in in all of that, and you know, his work is still getting done, and there's a whole rush of his work being done in Australia right now, but um, it's. There's so many other playwrights who's, you know, such a range of work being done. It's no longer um, of a particular genre that's getting staged by the professional companies. And, of course, there's been a huge growth in uh, community theatres doing New Zealand work. Really, that's that's really lovely to hear. Um, Yeah, Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you go back to the 30s and 40s and a lot of the work, that was done here was work that was you know in being done by community theatres was being written for those theatres by you know local playwrights doing their work, and somehow that all got well. A lot of it was also still harking to you know England, the mother country, etc. But the the New Zealand voice really began through that movement, and now those companies are really embracing New Zealand work. Mm. In the uh, Theatre New Zealand Theatre Fest this year, it was like there were 40 works or 41 works and 29 of them were New Zealand works.
0: Wow, yeah, yeah.
1: Which is a huge shift.
0: Well, that's been a hu- that, I mean, I guess that's the other thing to see. There's been a huge shift in the percentage of New Zealand work. We no longer need to kind of rally out for having New Zealand work quotas in our
1: theatres or, or anything like that. Well, I know. Well, we, we produce the t- statistics every year, including all of the work that um, work beyond what we represent. And in 2022, 90% of the work on our stages was New Zealand work. I put it to you that in some
0: ways that this wonderful thing is also a problem. I mean, we don't get to see as much international work as we used to. We don't possibly get to see as much Shakespeare. Do we get to see, and the people I've spoken to who feel... Risibly in, in Wellington, they don't get to see as much of the, you know, the great new international work as they'd like to, which isn't, you know, isn't on their screens. It comes to their theatres. Uh, you know, has is, <laughs> is it almost turned the other way with the New Zealand workers muscling out us seeing the stuff from everywhere else?
1: I would say that a lot of the international work we were seeing was not speaking to us as uh, well as uh, our local work does. But um, I, you know, because the New Zealand voice is more important. Well, I think you know we're bombarded with so much um, international work on our screens. Yeah. Um, That it's it's wonderful to have the New Zealand voice on our stages. Well,
0: it's it's remarkable that our theatre is still thriving, isn't it? I mean, we look at particularly after COVID and this very very difficult period. But these this range of streaming platforms our access to. Entertainment is so immediate now, and then the work is so incredibly diverse.
1: Yes, I, yes. How to make this economic. Yeah, exactly. Um it, It's still struggling. The Theatres are still struggling. Obviously, there was still a whole period when people were anxious about going into, uh, a, you know, a, a room with a whole lot of other people um, post-COVID, but, well, not post-COVID, but after the the worst of COVID, um, and you know the economics of everything, as we know in in our everyday lives, have shifted so much, and it's no different in the theatre. You know, uh, construction materials, people are being paid what they you know much better now than ever, I think. They are in the theatre. Yeah, it's shifted. Yeah, because that was a question I
0: had for you, because it you know it seemed to be that before, previously. When our screen culture was not where it was, you know, people would, as they still do with Auckland Theatre Company and the court to a degree or, or others, you know, you got your, there were a lot of season tickets, you, you you know, you booked into a certain period. There were repertory theatres where people were employed maybe around a year to perform in theatres. A lot of that got cut away. And I, I wondered if it was actually a lot of the, the actual practitioners was, were the ones that, you know, we, we as the audience get an incredible variety of work. But I wondered if sometimes it's the profession itself that suffers in
1: giving us such variety. Yes, I think um, I, I think the independent practitioners uh, are having the worst time of it. I mean, the, yeah. the, the, it's still the hardest. But in terms of that thing about employing a company, when I went in to run Downstage in 2000, I mean, I'd worked there in two different blocks earlier on from 75 through. But when I went in there in 2000 as artistic director, I had this idea of starting a company again, which was what I'd had the great pleasure of growing up with in in the professional theatre. Yeah. But if you want to do a, if you want to do a range of work to reach audiences, you can't cast uh, across a, a great diversity of work with the same people. You know, I mean. When 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 there was a a narrow range of work that was being staged by the professional theatres, it was very easy. You got seven actors, and you you you'll be in this one, and this one, and this one. You know, it was like that. But now, when we're doing you know you if you you're doing a work with an entirely pacific cast you're doing a work with an entirely maori cast an entirely asian cast or whatever what would you you know obviously some of those people could be in the in the company yes. one would hope but you you what are the what are the three parca do you know and during mm. that time sort of thing you know it's it's um yeah i i i think it's a positive that we're getting a greater range of work um and that we're seeing unfamiliar faces quite regularly. Um, Because, you know, when you've got a company, there is the great joy of going to see what X actor does in the next play and all of that. And that's wonderful. But at the same time, it means that it's always going to have to be a play that serves that particular actor the next time. Yeah.
0: Well, let's turn to Hannah Playhouse. Uh, We mentioned Downstage. Downstage, of course, the Hannah Playhouse was the home of Downstage. And um, Downstage really... What after you were there it, it it stopped being the theater company that it was, right It had other iterations there and then finally retired and the play The playhouse has been a little sad, I feel like for a for a few years it's been quite empty' it must have been a really difficult time for you well it, putting words into your mouth it, I'm afraid. yes
1: uh I was you know i i i left in uh, at the end of two thousand and five, and i wasn't involved again until I think twenty fourteen when I joined the Hannah Playhouse trust. But yeah, the uh, again economics, you know finding i I was having a struggle to find the right note to to meet an audience that for that building when I was running it when it was downstage, and that's a similar thing to the two directors who came in after me. you know there are things that take off and there are things that don't, but you've got to have a good balance of things taking off for it to be able to survive and um that that proved to be very difficult. And then when Downstage uh, folded in 2013, one year short of it being 50 years old uh, as a company, which was very sad, Capital E National Theatre for Children took over the lease and um, under Stephen Blackburn, um, uh, that uh, company, it had, it, uh, in an earlier iteration before them going in there, had been like a house for hire. Um, a receiving house, as it were. And so they maintained that for some time. But but when it came to 2020 and having to close down uh, through COVID, they decided not to renew the lease.